This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the status, and the Orr! Bobby Orr! Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Hey, Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn dog! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into the Skate Podcast. This is episode 70. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. And um, Bruins had a very encouraging win, some secondary scoring on Saturday in Philadelphia. And then followed it up the very next night with one of the worst games, certainly at the Garden, you know, probably the last two, three seasons. Um, you know, Bridget and Scott, I'll throw it over to you guys for you know your opening takes or, or big takeaways from the last two games. I'm just confused. I don't know what this team is. I'm hoping maybe by the end of this podcast, we collectively talk this through and I have some sort of clarity because I just cannot for the life of me figure this team out. Like, you start to get encouraged. They bounce back from that terrible loss to Edmonton with two 5-2 to two wins going into their bye week. They come out of it with an encouraging 5-2 win over Philly, who I don't buy as, like, a top team. But Philly is a solid team. Like, they'll be around the playoff hunt all year. Um, They're better than they were last year. And then, like you said, you follow it up with basically just a no-show against Calgary. And the Flames are a really good team. They Early on, they look like certainly one of the best in the league. Um, Certainly an elite defensive team. Gotten terrific goaltending. You know, they're literally, like, setting records that... (laughs) No team has done since the forward pass has been allowed. They have seven shutouts in their first 19 games. So, yes, and Vladar tough... had two of them. Yep. Um, yeah, two of them and now five starts for him this year. Um, we will get to Dan Vladar because he has been the, the hot topic of of Monday. Whoever uh, thought we would Bruin say stock. that. He's not even on the team anymore, but Dan Vladar is, is the, the hot topic. And it's true for a good reason. Um. But yeah, Bruins just lay an egg. Like, look, you may have played well and still lost to Calgary, but to just not even show up, generate virtually nothing offensively, breakdowns defensively, horrible power play that basically leads to two shorthanded goals. One came like a second after a power play expired. But, I mean, 
Swayman looked rough, like gave up a couple of rough rebounds, um, got beat by a squeaker under his arm. And it's just like, I don't know. Like, is, is this just a team that's going to have some encouraging stretches of games then fall apart? And when it all evens out, they're like a somewhere in the seventh, eighth, ninth range on the conference. And is, is that all they are? Or, or are they capable of more than that? Like that's, that's what I can't figure out. Cause every time it seems like they start to turn a corner, you know, they start to get some secondary scoring and then the entire offense just craps the bed. So that's about where I'm at right now. When it comes to the Calgary game, cause I was there last night. Um, Sorry to hear that. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was one of the slowest games. Like, in between, in in the intermissions, we we're like everybody was just like, "What are we watching?" And it's it's true. It, Calgary is a really good team. Obviously, you look at their record and um, their goals against average, which is ridiculous. But they, as well as they did shutting the Bruins down, the Bruins shut themselves down. So the turnovers were absolutely just. There were turnovers that uh, by Bergeron by pretty much everyone on the team that just did not look characteristic. Um, the one shorthanded goal was off this no-look pass from Bergeron, ba- backwards pass by Bergeron that just got picked up and ended up in a 2 on zero. And then Majapani uh, scored on that. And then the first goal, the Forbert goal, I mean, not the Forbert goal, <laughs> the first goal, Forbert made a similar backhand no-look pass to Kachuk and then... Uh, Ended up five seconds later, uh, Goudreau scoring. So they they had just no consistency with with the passing, and especially early on, it it put them in a hole. Right? Was it what one twenty nine into the game? Yeah. Um. So put them in a hole immediately, and they just never seemed to get things straightened out when it came to to passing. And like I said, it was I was like, what am I watching? This isn't something Bergeron does. Um. And. They could not get it through the neutral zone. They just they they shot themselves in the foot in more ways than one. And Calgary did a good job on their penalty kill for sure. That's something that forced the Bruins to make some more mistakes than they normally would have. But I just I was kind of the thing that concerned me a lot was the turnovers. It, a lot concerned me in that game, and, and a lot has concerned me over the course of the season, even in games where they've won. And, you know, this this Calgary loss is coming off of three, five, two victories in a row for the Bruins over different opponents. But even in games where the Bruins have played well this year or won a game, you know, they aren't they aren't really imposing their will. They're not controlling the pace of play. Like, games they win, it's kind of, you know, a seesaw, and, you know, maybe they'll get a a goal, you know, to kind of tip the scales at some point throughout regulation. But this team, and when I say impose their will, I mean, you know, the, the... the cycling game is not really there. The confidence with the puck is not really there to make plays. It is here and there, like that Craig Smith goal in Philadelphia. That's a play where, you know, all, all around from, from Halla to Smith, that's a confident play. So it's, it, you know, it happens once in a while. I'd say once every, you know, two, three games, there's a, there's a good scoring play where, you know, they show that confidence and that ability to dictate play, but it's not, it's not consistent enough. They certainly have not created an identity, not one that they're proud of, at least so far. Um, and I think, you know, I was very discouraged after the game. I was very pissed off, very disappointed, very frustrated. Um, and e- even even throughout the first half of today, I was like, you know, this team, 
what you know what 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 is the issue with them? Is it personnel? Is it structural? Is it a combination of both? And you know, I'm I I I, I sit back and I say to myself, well, how much man for man? How much more talent does Florida have than the Bruins? Does Carolina have than the Bruins? Does do the Flames have than the Bruins? Three teams that the Bruins have you know lost to this year in, in regulation. Three good teams, and the answer is honestly. They're not better on paper, if at all. Maybe a maybe a hair one way or the other. So I think that the Bruins, while I don't think they have a Stanley Cup roster, their roster is much better than the way they've played. And I think that there's some some tinkering of lines. I think that could better balance the team on the back end and up front. And I like to see maybe because we're so early in the season, the Bruins try to do some of those things because I feel like it. I feel like. You know, the, the Oilers do it with Dry Settle and McDavid. Like, they're on different lines. You know, I think that, for example, you know, and we can break it down a little bit more in detail later, but like, let's just say, for example, you know, Pashnak was down on the second line and Craig Smith went to the top line, right wing, uh, with with Marshan and, and Bergeron. We know Smith can, can work hard with those two players and those two players can create. But like, if, if Taylor Hall and Pashnak are a tandem and they jump over the boards, well, now the teams have other things to look at. And I think the Bruins need to start tinkering some. Because it's so early, we've got to see this team in, in different forms right now. Well, and one thing that I've pushed for before and was and thought of again last night and it didn't really happen is there are games where that Bergeron line meets their match and, and struggles in, in their matchup. And last night was one of them where they got a lot of ice time against the Gaudreau-Lindholm-Kachuk line, which, by the way, statistically has been the best line in the NHL this season. I think they're now uh, 12 goals, 4 and 0 against at 5 and 5, which is just crazy. Um, and that line, you now, like, if they played, you know, five times, I think the Bergeron line would win some of those matchups. They wouldn't lose every single game, but they lost for the most part last night. That Calgary's top line was better. And that's a night where it's like, at some point, midway through the game, when it's clear that that matchup isn't really going your way, Either, hey, you're at home, maybe try to get away from it, maybe try your fourth line against them or something, or move Parsonak off and try to create a mismatch somewhere else. And uh, and they didn't really do that. They kind of just stuck with it. And it's, you know, to an extent, I understand, like, look, you want to trust those guys, you want to give them a chance to pick their game up and get going. But it just wasn't happening for them last night, and I, I don't like the idea of like being so tied into keeping those three together that you just never go away from it. Um, and that, you know, I think really only once this season has Cassie gone away from it for more than like a random shift or two. He went away from it for like two thirds of a game a couple weeks ago. Um, but yeah, it's it, you know. You don't have to go away from it forever. You don't have to go away from it for even an entire game. But it is it is worth it when you need to try to get something going, just to try to create something. Because right now you don't have any other lines that are like dynamic enough to really create their own momentum. You know, they'll do it for a shift here and there. And we've seen before Sunday, we have seen a little more secondary scoring. Um, you know, we saw Coyle have a big game. Uh, you know, we've seen 
that fourth line has created some chances um, with Bleed, Noshek, and Lazar. But but you can't count on that every night. And you should be able to count on your top guys to do something. So when that line, when those when the three of them are being contained, yeah, don't 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 be afraid to try something else. Yeah, and, and even when they're playing on top of their game, you know, that's great. But like you said, now you have, you know, three lines that aren't really doing anything. So I just think that it's not so much about, all right, the first line's not playing great, let's let's demote Pashnak. It's not about that. It's about, okay, how can we get Taylor Hall going? Well, maybe put one of the best goal scorers in the world on on, on a wing with them. Yeah, or um, it's just matchup to matchup, yeah. right? Sometimes that they figured out how to handle that trio. Um, so then in the case of Calgary, that was that was what was going on. They really figured out how to you know keep them from getting set up and so it it could just be matchup wise you don't ha- it doesn't have to be because you know Pasternak isn't going or whatever you got to try something in game and I, I i know that it didn't seem like they did too much against Calgary in terms of making adjustments which is a knock on the coaching yeah and and to your point Bridget i i think that's i think that's true i think <clears throat> i think you know Nobody can keep up with Connor McDavid, skill wise, speed wise. So you can you can you can you know try to defend him all you want, X's and O's wise or matchups. At the end of the day, that player is head and shoulders above the rest with speed. You can't contain him. I think I think the league is starting to figure out a way to defend the Bergeron line. The more that they're together as, as as more time goes on. I think you see it in playoffs when when when, when you know strong defensive teams they don't have, they know how to play them. They 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 tend to play them physical, play them tough. I mean, as great as Patrice Bergeron is, you know the the fact of the matter is speed wise he's not going to burn anybody. Pashnak and and Martian have good speed, but you know it's nothing like you know out of this world. Um, they're just dynamic in other ways, and I think that the league is finding ways to. To defend them a little bit, a little bit better, and so, you know, I, I just think it helps everybody when maybe just give just give some more better balance. Like I, I just think, like I think it could help Taylor Hall. I think it could help, you know, David Pashnak playing against maybe uh, somebody's second D pair than their first D pair or or a third D pair. Um, you know, and, and and I think you know somebody like a an Eric Holla may have to take a seat for a few games and, and maybe you know maybe slide sneak into the third line and put Felino down in the third line or. Or coil on the third line. Just it's, you got, it's early in the season. This is when you have chances to mix things up a bit. Yeah, and especially because nothing's really clicking. Like as we said, like you might get like a one-off game where hey, hey, this line had a good game and looked encouraging, but it's not like anything's been clicking long term. Where you're like, oh, we don't want to touch that. Like, yeah, the, there shouldn't. Everything should be on the table with this team right now. Like. You're still struggling to generate five on five offense. Um, you've you've had too many games where that top line gets contained and there's just nothing else. Um, so, yeah, Stanika. Look, I don't know. They've obviously been hesitant to really give him any long run, and you know I'm not going to pretend I know how he's been playing in Providence. I haven't been able to catch any Providence games. Um, but, you know, if he's if he's making progress, like, 
you know, it's not like Eric Halla is holding down, you know, like playing great in a third line role. So that's what it's about for yeah. me. So yeah, like what's what, what's the downside of trying something else of of changing things up and and Brian Brian had a suggestion. I know you tweeted out. Uh, your your game plan for your new lines, and, and you sample. and you and you um, added the Bruins just so that they could see it in yeah. case they want to go with it. <laughs> yeah, just just in case uh, Elaine is, is is running the account, right? Doesn't she work with it now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, she does. She does. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, and Scott just said it. You know, it's not so much like oh, I'm, I'm keeping all these tabs on Sonika down in Providence. Like he should come up and, and he'll 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 really help this team. It's not. I mean, it's a little bit of that. I think he could in a third line center role. Eric Hall has done jack shit. I mean, he, he he's not. He, I mean, to be to be frank, he hasn't done anything. He's invisible out there ninety nine percent of the and, time. And uh, that would explain why you don't have him in your lineup. No, I I, I actually I so I was gonna I was gonna I didn't have enough characters, but I was gonna say he should go up upstairs and and, and split some popcorn with Scotty <laughs> on the ninth. But, <laughs> Um, oh no no no! Scott doesn't share. Yeah. Oh, well, well, I don't know. Have you seen those eyes? If if, if he if all looks them, <laughs> I don't know if you can deny that. Um, it, look, it's not like it, it's not a forever thing. The, I, I think I think Hall could benefit from it. He, he, just, he it's just he's not he's not he's not doing what the Bruins prime to do. So like taking him out of the lineup for a couple of games isn't going to hurt. He's not do, bringing anything to the table. So like, um, you did know, you want to go through what your lines actually were? Yeah, uh, I have to jog my memory. So I think it was uh, I think it was um, Marshan Bergeron, Craig Smith, um, Hall, Stanika, Pashnak. Again, this is for like one game. Just like amuse me, like amuse us. One game Hall, specifically, Brian. Hall, Hall Stanika, Pashnak, uh, DeBrus, Coyle, Felino, and then the fourth line has been the most consistent line lately with with Bleed, uh, Nosek, and Lazar. If you want to sprinkle an Oscar Steen for one of them, fine. But um, look, I just think it's just. Just give it a look. One like you're playing Buffalo, you should probably you should probably win with Providence, right? So just get see if those players can do anything. Um, I don't know. You got you got Jackson Ika sitting there. Like I I understand he hasn't like really ran with the ball yet this year, but again, like who has? And you know, like we talk about the depth scoring, and you know the story coming out of the Flames game besides the goaltending, which you know is kind of you know it's kind of tongue in cheek, but like the real storyline. Was was look the Bruins top line got outplayed by the Flames top line, and it's disappointing because it comes off the heels of a game where the depth players propelled the Bruins to win at Philadelphia. So it's like okay, now it's your guys' turn to take the ball, and you know, and and, and they didn't. And so when the Bruins top line gets shut down, that's a lot of that's a big ask to have these bottom uh, three lines that aren't that dynamic offensively to continue to propel them. But all of a sudden. Like I said, if you're watching the Bruins on TV or you're at the Garden and you see Craig Smith hop over the boards with Bergeron and Marchand, and you know Bergeron and Marchand can create their own offense even on the shorthand. So, you know, Craig Smith will get on the forecheck and, and they can be, you know, they could be um, productive. And then the next shift, you see Taylor Hall and David Pashnak hop, hop over the boards, whether it's with Coyle or Sneaker or whoever. It just, optics-wise, it just, okay, all of a sudden they have a little bit more depth. You know what I mean? And I just think that... Um, you know that's what the regular se- they're blessed with an 82 game season this year, right? So you know, take advantage of of the time, and if it doesn't work out, all right, <laughs> you know it doesn't work out. It 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 bothers me that the Bruins just completely no show for this game once again against a top team because it's it's like are they really that so far away from the top teams in the league that they can't even be competitive because. 
if you really look at it, like they had basically a non-competitive loss in Florida, got shut out in Carolina, non-competitive loss in Toronto, non-competitive loss against Calgary. They did also beat Florida, so that's yeah. good. And they were right there with Edmonton through two periods before falling apart in the third. But at least there was something there. Like, at least they were toe-to-toe with them for 40 minutes. So, I don't, like, that's that's a lot of games now against the top teams in the league where they just haven't even been in it. And it's like, is that because they're that far away? Or is there a reason that they keep kind of no-showing in these in these quote-unquote big games? You know, and I think, I, I feel like part of it is like, if they don't get off to a good start and things aren't really going well, it seems like they don't have answers to turn things around or to or to get momentum going or get some sort of spark. It's like, you know, they'll get through a period and if they're down one nothing, they've been outplayed. It's like, it's kind of just it. Like it, it's nah, puzzling. Like, I guess I guess we're losing. I guess we're losing tonight. Yeah, it's it's been puzzling how they've. There's just no like pattern, right? There's there's really few patterns. You go three three amazing games, five goals each, and then this happens once again. But I kind of worry if like obviously the Bruins didn't have their best performance uh, against Calgary, but w- won't the other teams in, in the league see what Calgary did and use some of that stuff against the Bruins again? Because they really had no answer to. The way that they pressure them at their own um, at their offensive blue line, so they really were able to slow the Bruins down, getting into the zone, and in particular on the on the Bruins power play. They don't use they weren't used to seeing um, a penalty kill that was that aggressive on entries, and they weren't able to do what they usually do, which is skate into the zone. The defense will back off, drop pass back to whomever, maybe Marshawn, and they weren't able to do that. Cassidy addressed. Why? What he would have preferred them to do? Uh, he wanted them to just get pucks in off the off the end boards, go and chase it. Um, but it didn't. They didn't do it. So and then they they can be successful at that. But they they didn't do it. They knew what they needed to do. I do think that there were some things that if if you're watching tape and you're one of the other teams in in the conference, you're like, okay, we're gonna use that. Yeah, I think the Bruins can use that formula too. I mean, Calgary didn't really reinvent the wheel. They just kind of played a hard-nosed, simple game. And, like, you know, I I think for whatever reason, I'm not sure. Again, it might be structural and and systematic, but, like, when the Bruins are defending in their defensive zone, and look, for a decade plus, the Bruins have been one of the top defensive teams in the league, so I'm not going to sit here and, like, you know, say, question their, their, their methods, but... You know, it's almost like they play zone. And, you know, maybe a lot of teams do. But it just seems like when the Bruins are in their D zone, they kind of wait for something to happen. Like They, they kind of wait for, for, for a missed pass or a loose puck or, or a ricochet to kind of get going. Whereas, like, when the Bruins are in the, their, the, the other team's defensive zone, it seems like teams kind of challenge them one-on-one and, and make the Bruins make a play. And... So the result of that is that when the Bruins are in a D zone, they spend like 45 to a minute 10 in their own zone, and then they're too tired, they're too gassed to make anything happen. When the Bruins go into the offensive zone, it's kind of, they're kind of like teams break out a little too easily. I, way too many easy breakouts, whether it's D to D or just a, or just a, a rim around the boards to the weak side wing, and they're out. And I don't know if it's like the way the Bruins kind of forecheck, and 
and, and, and conversely defend in their own zone, but it just kind of seems like their systems are a little bit slow as well. I don't know. Yeah, and we've also seen issues with, like, rotations being off or, like, passing guys off to another defender. There's been miscommunications. Like, the the goal that Calgary scored off the faceoff that Noah Hannafin scored off the rebound, it was like, whether it was zone or man, something just got completely screwed up because there was no one around Noah Hannafin. And, like, the way that the faceoff play worked is, like, Hannafin was the left point, you know, starts kind of in the middle of the ice because the faceoff's on the right side. And then he sort of wheels around to the left and, like, clearly starts coming in that back door for something. And there was just no one over there. And Forbord and McAvoy, the defense pairing, both ended up in the front on, like, the guy in the slot. And it was like, either, either, you know, the, either the wing was supposed to be over with Hannafin or McAvoy was supposed to switch over to that side and no one did and it's like you end up with five guys on one half of the ice and the guy coming in the back door is just completely uncovered and that was the fourth line that was out there at at the time with Forbert and McAvoy and I I do think that that McAvoy Forbert pairing we've said it before but it was really noticeable last night they just don't have that much chemistry they have miscommunications that they had a miscommunication on the first goal of the game they had uh, McAvoy had passed it to Forbert behind the net they they failed to clear it and then the Forbert giveaway was what led to the control goal so they, they had some miscommunications back there and the Bruins defensemen have also had some miscommunications with their goaltenders uh, that have led to you know not not clearing the rebounds out um, and, and things like that. Yeah, and and some of it is... And then there's just the effort issue, too. Like, the the shorthanded goal that Mangiapani scored was just inexcusable. Like It's bad enough that you give up the breakaway, but then Swimming makes three saves. You have, like, three-slash-four guys back on two flames... And no one picks up Manjapani, just standing in front. Marshan does just like a total drive-by. Like just swoops in, should have been in position to stop and tie up Manjapani, lift a stick, do something. And for some reason just like skates by him and starts to turn up ice. Like, oh, like my teammates have got this covered. Like I'm going to take off and get going in transition. And it's like... No, like you didn't. You don't have the puck yet. Like, why would the goal score still standing right there? Yeah, I was gonna say, why would anyone in a two-on-zero situation think that play was gonna be over? Because the fact that Swayman made any of those stops was impressive. Just watching it again, yeah, it it just was a total miscommunication. Felino was a problem on that situation too. He didn't pick up. I will say, I will say though, Bridget, at that on that play. There's no communication needed. You got you got you got one guy banging around at three rebounds, and you got four Bruins or three Bruins. You, you, you get you take the body, you get the pockets. Yeah. It's it, I don't care about three guys. I mean, Felino followed Dubé behind the yeah. net. He didn't stand out front. He didn't help with blocking anything. He he just followed the the trailer. That, that was that was a goal where like you know, as a fan watching, you just kind of want to shut the TV off and be like, all right, you know what. You guys aren't. You guys are checked out of this game. I am too. Yeah. I'm not going to waste my time watching you guys if this is how you're going to play. And I think that's one of those plays where like Bruce Cassidy is, is sick to his stomach. Like that's from a coach's perspective. Like he's probably like just, you know what, <laughs> pack it in. Like just get in the locker room. Let's go. Like 
see at practice because that, that's that, that's the effort that they gave on that play. Yeah, and from the ninth floor, I mean, it was just like a clear oh oh shit moment. It was just like oh shit, two on zero, and then somehow miraculously, from where I was sitting, it looked like Swayman stopped it. But obviously, the rebound was still loose, and they weren't able to control it. But it was out there for for what Scott like ten seconds. Like it was out just bouncing around, hitting Swayman, getting yeah, getting more chances for about ten multiple seconds. Multiple whacks added, like just. And it's a two nothing game, and you got a power play with however much what was like twelve minutes to go, and like look, was it your greatest game to that point? No, mm-hmm. but like when you're playing an eighty two game schedule. You win a you win a lot of games not on your best night, so you put one in there. You get, you're feeling you're feeling good about yourselves, and and and, and you know there's a decent chance they tie the game if they put a goal in that power play. And yeah, it, and actually there was a lot more time than that. It was like 17 minutes. Was that it was, really? Yeah, 308 yeah. into the third. Okay, well, there so. you go. And like I think, you know, as far as their power play goes, and their power play look overall, the numbers will say their power play has been you know pretty good so far this year. Yeah, they're tenth in the yeah, NHL. Yeah, I was gonna say probably top ten. So there you go. Um, about 21%, Yeah, I, I think I think at times you know they get too cute when they do have possession, but you know two areas that to me that they just got to improve. You know they they haven't. It seems like you know Bergeron's probably fifty five forty five on offense zone draws to start power plays, which you know when you lose those draws, it kind of you know sucks away thirty seconds, and also. Their zone entries have just been very, very inconsistent. And when they do get zone entries, sometimes it just kind of seems lucky. And you know, when they used to have Tory Krug on the power play, what, what he used to do well was he would, you know, he he would take the net with speed, you know, take it to the neutral zone, and then kind of like you know, pivot backwards, see where his pass is going, draw it back to their own blue line, and Pashnak or Martian would be coming with tons of speed. When you're coming with tons of speed, you know, it's tough for the penalty killer standing still to kind of stop you. And it seems like. They're just kind of letting somebody take it behind the net and just kind of go coast to coast and maybe hit like a lateral pass at some point. But it's just like, you know, if, if you're a penalty killer, you're kind of sitting there like, all right, boys, like just kind of telegraph <laughs> yeah, this one. And there end up in way too many situations where it's like three or four guys like almost stopped on the blue line, like wait, waiting right. for like the green light to enter the zone. And it's like, no, like that's fine for like one or two guys like out wide, but like you've got to have speed going in. Like you've got to have multiple guys moving because then once you're in... You need those passing options or throw it around the boards or whatever the case might be. But yeah, they have way too many times where it's like guys are just standing around and then it's one guy entering with speed and he has no options and it's a turnover. And it's Yeah, because if you pressure that, there's only one guy to worry about in that yeah. situation. You can't get that drop back pass that mm. they like to try when they get in on the power play. Are you guys surprised that Pasternak only has one power play goal through 15 games? Well, I'm a little surprised he only has five goals in general. Um, you know, that's that, that you know, five goals through 15 games certainly isn't bad. Um, yeah, though, Bridget, to answer your question, straight up, yeah. And in fact, um, he's not really getting a ton of looks either, which is you know probably the more surprising part is that you know teams are kind of you know they're committing to him, and they're challenging the Bruins. To he beat only had one elsewhere. shot yesterday. Yeah, they're 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 they're, they're taking that lane away, and you know, so the Bruins are countering it by you know p- switching. Putting Pashnak on a strong side, and 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 vice versa with Marshan. They're trying to they're trying to get some different looks, but the opponents are taking away that one timer. They know how lethal it can be, and they're they're flat out challenging McAvoy to make a play or Marshan and Bergeron to make a play in the bumper because the goal line guy has really not been a threat no matter who it's been so far. So to answer your question, yes, I'm surprised. Felino's had a, had a few power plays where I think he's looked solid in that role where he's kind of created some chaos or, yeah, but I... or been there for screens or. 
tips, able to retrieve rebounds. But yeah, yeah indir- I mean, indirectly helping with yeah, like with that's offense. not gonna be like, a, like indirectly dumping into him isn't really like a primary option. To your point, like th- those other four guys are the options who you want to have the puck to whether it's make the pass, take the shot, and that's where you you want McAvoy to be a little more dangerous shooting. Um, you know, I think he's taken started to take more shots and he did have the two goal game but you need you need more of that and you need it more consistently to where teams actually have to respect that he might shoot when it comes out to him at the point and they can't back off because then it turns into a situation where it's like one guy is almost covering McAvoy and Bergeron in the bumper because he can stay low enough that he's on Bergeron he doesn't have to come out to challenge McAvoy because he's not really doing enough to be a threat back there. Yeah, I, I, if you're an opponent and the Bruins score on the power play and the goal scorer is Nick Foligno, then, you know, they're probably sitting there saying, well, all right, I mean, if they're going to beat us, I mean, fine, let's let it be Foligno. We'll, 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 we'll challenge him to do so. But I think what you just said is, is, is spot on. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just they, they don't – I don't know what it is. I don't know if they're overconfident, if they're, if they're just being too cute. It's – Yesterday yeah. they were. Yeah, Yesterday they were. they were. They were. But but to your point about Pashnak, like I, like you know, yeah, I'm surprised he only has one power play goal. But like I said, he's not really getting a ton of dangerous opportunities in the offensive zone on either side of the of the circle. Um, teams are taking him away, and so the, I don't really know exactly what the Bruins do to really counter that. Other, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of like a. I mean, what what I mean, what, what, do the, what do the Lightning do to take away? Um, when teams try to take away Kucherov, I guess the, I guess the problem is they have two lethal one timers on either side with Stamkos. So whereas Marshan's not a one time guy, Marshan's all world with a lot of things, but one timers is not one of them. At least a slap shot. He can do a quick snapshot, quick release, but like you know, that's that's very tough to pull off. Can I just throw a quick tidbit in just because yes. you mentioned Tampa Bay, Braden Point, uh, going down for oh. a long time. So I didn't even see this news to me. I yeah. believe he he suffered an injury that could be um, the rest of the regular season, and then you wonder if Tampa Bay will pull the same thing they pulled last year and try to circumvent the cap and bring him back during the playoffs. But there's a situation going on with Braden Point there with his was injury. Was it a slew foot from Hartman? I saw I saw I saw Bogosian had to fight Hartman for a slew foot, but I didn't know what Dinacho said that, but I didn't know who the slew foot was against. Maybe it was Braden Point. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, t- the the tough times get tougher for Tampa. I mean, this is kind of why, you know, in our in our season preview, I was like, well, they may have some tough sledding because you know they're back to back champs, but now they get to have to play everybody, and everybody wants to you know, you know, put them through the boards. So I mean, if Tampa, hey, if Tampa wins a third cup this year, they 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 earn every single sip from that from that trophy. That's that'd be incredible. But they they're off to a tough start. I mean, they already have to rebuild the bottom six, but. Yeah, if if, if points that, down, that's tough. Yeah, still still pacing ahead of the Bruins though. And so, you know, m- maybe the doors because I'd say if Tim is healthy, then the Bruins very clearly look like at best the fourth team in the division. You know, Panthers look like the clear top team right now. Toronto has turned things around after a slow start, and Tampa, despite injuries, despite not really playing their best. Is still in front of you, so like that's, I guess you say that would be the Bruins' competition in terms of avoiding a wild card spot and avoiding that race. Um, but I'm not sure they 
you know, I'm not sure they can even keep pace with the with a banged up Tampa, but not not the way that they're playing right now. Yeah, and 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 you just kind of alluded to it, like the Metro. I mean, that wild that 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 wild card, you know, they could have five teams over in the Metro. Like like they're they're all playing really well. Like um, Carolina, uh, Washington, the Rangers. Um, well, I mean, interesting the, enough, you the have the get better, but. Penguins and Islanders really struggle, and much, yeah. even worse than the Bruins. You know, well, they're behind I think them the, the Penguins have the worst power play in the league, if if I, I yeah, get well, a double no, check. No but... Crosby and Malkin for a yeah. long time will we'll, we'll hinder that. I mean, when Danton Heinen's on your top peeper, then that's probably not a good thing. But, um, I mean, Scott, you start off the podcast by asking, like, like you know. <laughs> they're 11% on the power play this season. Yikes. Um. You started the podcast by by saying like John Henry's gonna fix it. Yeah. <laughs> you're you're frustrated. You're frustrated. Fix the Penguins. Fix the Penguins yeah. now. You're you're frustrated because you like you don't know like what this team, what this Bruins team is, and you know I get I guess you know the Bruins gotta ask themselves just how good they think they can be because you know I, I look I did I did pick the Bruins to finish fourth in the in the division. I thought that there were four teams that could have won it. I'm not. I'm not glad that so far that's kind of what it looks like because they don't look as good as I thought they were going to. Um, and like you know earlier, like I said, like I, I think a lot of these teams that they're getting outclassed by. You you, you you compare their rosters, you know, man for man. And I don't think I don't think Calgary has got much more talent than the Bruins, if any. Um, same same with Florida or or or, or Carolina. Like they, they just play they just play a more high tempo style. Um, so. Okay, if it's not personnel, it's not necessarily effort. It could be structural, but I would like to see. I would like to see the Bruins try to balance out. I can't get a true gauge in this team until I see a balanced lineup. Um, at least them attempt to. If they try to, you know, balance some 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 lines out, and it seems to work, and they seem to have more depth because of it. All right, then maybe they're not as far away as I think they are right now. Um, but. To answer your question to start the pod, like, wh- who who are they? They're not good enough. That's who they are. They're not. They're not. They're they're right now. They're playing like a fringe playoff team, and that's before they get hit by the injury bug, which is a scary thought. You know, and that's they, before they they take on this part of the schedule that doesn't have these big long layoffs too. Mm. Like they're about to play much more which, condensed schedule, which could definitely be a good thing. Like yeah, maybe could, they actually but to start the injury, to find some sort of rhythm to the injury bug um, point that Brian was making. It could it could complicate yeah. things. You know who they you know who they might be now that I think of it, they might be last year's Bruins from the first two thirds of the season. Do, Weird, do you, it's almost so, like do you remember they still have the same problems? Like our first episodes of this when we started doing it in what was that like February last year? Yeah, like uh, yeah. I feel like every or a bunch of the episodes it was like, are they a playoff team? Can they contend? Should they make moves at the deadline? Should they be going for it? Like, what? It, what is this team? And now, like now, I'm thinking of it. It's the same thing all over again. Like that's what this year is. It's like, so right now they are tied for seventh in the Eastern Conference in points percentage. So technically in playoff position, and I feel like that's just right about where they're going to hang out for next few months, and we're going to be like, well, they're in the playoff race, so. Technically, they're going for because anyone can win the NHL. And we've seen, you know, we've seen teams make deep runs from <clears throat> Montreal seventh, eighth seeds. Yeah, Montreal gets hot. The Islanders two years ago when they got to the conference finals were 
the seventh seed going in. Last year they finished fourth in the in the division and got to the conference final. Like you see it happen. So if you're in one of those spots, you have to think of yourself as a contender and you have to think that you're in it. So you're a buyer at the deadline. You're gonna have to if if you're still hanging around here, you're gonna have to be. Um because yeah. the Dales have to be a buyer because the only other option is to like completely blow it up and start the rebuild. Um, you know, standing pat and just being like a seventh or eighth seed doesn't do anything when you're talking about you know the final years of Bergeron's career. Like that, that's completely pointless. Yeah, I mean, like as long as thirty seven's playing, you're not selling. Like you're buying. The problem is, if you're buying, you better damn sure win it one of these final years with him. Because in order to go all in and buy, you're gonna have to give up draft picks and or top end prospects. And when Bergeron does hang him up, as soon as this next season or maybe a few years later, you're gonna have nothing in the pipeline. So if you're gonna go all, they're in a weird spot because they have to go all in. The, with Bergeron, you have to. Um, because the second he leaves, and you no longer have a number one center and one of the best in the world at that, um, especially two-way, your cup hopes, they're, they're, they're done for a couple of years at least. And I would argue, and look, this is a conversation for a very long long time from now, but like, like hypothetically, if, if Bergeron retired after this season, well, just like that, unless they were to go out and acquire like a top center that I can't foresee that, um, you know, you're no longer able to able to win a cup, and at that point, you might have to have an uncomfortable conversation as a fan base about selling high on Brad Marchand. That's that that's not for this year, but like if we're that's that's the reality that they're in, and and they have to. That's why there's so much pressure on them to win. That's why like we care so much, and like we've seen we've seen this team go from a basement dweller in like '05 through '07 to a cup champion in '11, and you know, stay just underneath that caliber since then we know we know a team that's capable of going far when we see one and when we started this podcast last season it wasn't one of those teams okay sometimes a big acquisition can put everybody in the right spot that's what taylor hall did the difference is last year at least they had a one-two punch up the middle a three if you include coil who had a bad season but he was still very good third line center on paper the difference is right now they don't have that depth of the middle can they get that at the deadline? I don't know. Does David Krejci or, come back? Maybe if he, if Krejci comes back, which Gucci Gross <laughs> tweeted that, and, and and the last time he tweeted that was when um, uh, he uh when he broke the was it the Eichel news? I don't know who. Gucci Gross doesn't tweet anything for no reason. Okay, he tweeted a split screen of Krejci and Rask. He must be hearing something. I don't know if it's valid. Maybe but, he just wanted to really taunt Bruins fans. I kind of got but that. He's from, I think no, he's he's he was a Bruins fan growing up. So I, I don't know. think he'd want yeah. to. But like, let's just let's play the game for a quick second. Like, if if Krejci would have come back at some later this year, and the Bruins went out and also got like a winger at the deadline on top of who they have right now, like, all right, like that's a lot. That's all of a sudden you have a lot more depth. But as the team currently sits, just like when we started this podcast last year, they're going to have to really improve to change my mind. And oh, by the way, when they did improve the team last year, they got bounced in the second round in five games. Six games. Six games. So If they had the roster they had last year, this would be a different conversation. Like, if Krejci's still here, I think that that, that team was set up for success. If Krejci didn't walk away, um, that second line, you, you probably see Hall getting much more involved in the offense. There was a lot of chemistry there, and it just hasn't been there with Hall 
and coiled, just not as much as you'd like to see from him. Um, but with Krejci, I thought that the other pieces kind of fell into place. So once they exactly. lost him, and I don't think that their off-season moves at all really addressed that loss and their defensive situation, adding Forbert. Yes, he has four goals, but I think their team... If you brought back that same team as last year, the Bruins are, would be in a better situation. Yeah, I mean, we didn't like their bottom six last year, so they went out and addressed that. Honestly, so far, Felino's been, like, okay. Not in the score sheet he has, but in general, he's bringing effort. Holla hasn't done a thing, and no sec I've liked. And But, you know, I kind of knew their, that was Their be the trade case. deadline acquisitions last year were above and beyond what they did in this offseason. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Lazar, you know, Lazar kind of counts as, like, I, he's kind of, like, in my mind, an offseason addition because he only played so much last year. But the, the the problem is the Bruins shouldn't have been in a situation where you needed to go out in free agency and spend millions on depth players because that's what drafting and developing is for. We'll get into that in a little bit. but um, And each year that they go for it, they yeah, that it, supply runs out, right? They, yeah. they trade Bjork. They, they yeah. trade draft picks. They keep having to thin things out at the trade yeah. deadline. So this, this is a point that someone someone made on Twitter um, commenting to us that, you know, that they've traded away, and this was in the context of Vladar, which we can start to see into here. Um, but, you know, the point was like, they've traded away so many young players that they've developed. Like, no wonder they don't have young players to plug in. And it's like, well... First off, how many have they traded who have like gone on to stardom? None. Second off, like they've made those trades because they've they've been going for it. like they've taken chances at the deadline, and some have worked and some haven't. Uh, last year, Taylor Hall worked, and to a lesser extent, Mike Riley worked. Like those trades improved your team and and gave you a shot, gave you a reason to believe. Um, Trading Ryan Donato for Charlie Coyle worked. Like, unambiguous win. Now, you can debate Coyle's contract after that, but the trade itself, win. You were game seven at home from a cup win. Yeah. Uh, going out, you know, trading Ryan Lindgren for Rick Nash doesn't look good now, but it was understandable at the time. Like, you, you got, they needed a top six wing. You thought Rick Nash was going to be it. He gets a concussion, like, his third or fourth game and is never the same after. Like, I don't know. You you can't plan on that. Like, what what are you supposed to do about that? Well, okay. So look, um, we'll, okay. So the the problem for me with this Bruins team, okay, and now it's very polarizing. Every time I go on Twitter, I feel like I feel Brian like, was very active on Twitter on Monday. By the way, it was this is like I think he like doubled his career tweet total in one day. <laughs> I know I don't I don't tweet very often, but like sometimes I just I don't know. Anyway, so uh, Bruins Twitter is very polarizing. It, it reminds me a lot of you know social media during during the election years with the left and the right. People just couldn't cut. They, they, they everybody was right apparently. No, no, nobody could could compromise or talk or have a discussion. You have on one side of the aisle, you got you got the the hardcore diehard Bruins fan who sleeps in their Bruins T-shirt, where Sweeney can do no right. On the other side of the aisle, you have a lot of individuals who cover the team in many various ways, whether it's writing or podcasting, or whatever, and and they seemingly end up having to try to defend management and and justify why they do the things that they do, and that management can do no wrong. Well, like many things in life, the truth is always somewhere in the middle, 
And, you know, the topic of discussion last night was because Vladar was back in Boston and got the shutout. So it was like, all right, should the Bruins have paid Allmark or saved money? And, you know, people think Swayman and Vladar could have been a cheaper option and you could have gotten more um, team needs. I was I was one of them. I also thought that they could have just got a cheaper veteran goalie. And on the other side, people say, well, this window's closing. You can't go into a year with those young goalies. Um, it's too big of a risk. And I get that, too. And they also say that, well, who are you going to get in the, on the free agent market on D4? There weren't big impact players. And that's true, too. For me, the the Bruins issues go so far back. And it goes back to, like I said, like the drafting and developing. And be, over the, I, I did this. You're going to be proud of me, Scott and Bridget. I didn't do this on Natural Stat Trick. I did this myself. I was just curious. Oh, math. I was just curious, okay? So get the gif of um, the guy from Hangover right now going down <laughs> the escalator with the, with the calculations over his head. Um, over the last 10 drafts, okay, so from the 2012, from the 2012 draft to this past year, the Bruins have drafted 60 players, okay? Nine of them went on to play at least 50 games with the Bruins. Six of them remain. Um, McAvoy, Carlo, Grizzlick, Pashnak, DeBrusque, and Trent Frederick. Okay. So of that list, especially up front, you're really talking David Pashnak as the only impact forward in the last 10 drafts. And McAvoy is obviously a franchise stud, and Grizzlick and Carlo are certainly steady NHL defensemen. So it's not as bad on D. And Sabor was at 49 games, by the way, so he wasn't included in this. Um, so long story short, like I just don't think... like people, Whatever... Even if the Bruins didn't sign Allmark and they had more cap space to use, like I was arguing... But I, it was kind of tongue-in-cheek, but... Like, People on the other side of the aisle, they're right. There weren't a ton of players to go out and get. I think the Bruins are where they are now because they haven't drafted and developed, I'm not saying 10 players, but at least a couple more than they have to impact this team. Again, over the last five drafts, not the only player that is on the Bruins now and has played for the Bruins is Jeremy Swayman, and he's a goalie, not a skater. And it's a very young league. You have 18 and 21-year-olds playing right away, and the Bruins have a lot of players in their in their, in their early 20s that are in the ECHL, the USHL, college hockey, and they're not, they're not even close. So, And the argument that they have had um, draft picks in the 20s in the first round, I get that. A lot of teams have. Tampa Bay played in the 2011 finals, uh, uh, conference finals. They went to the finals in 14. They've gone to back-to-back cups. They've been a, one of the best teams in the league for 10 years, too. And they found Point, Palat, Kalorn, um, Sorelli, Sorelli all, all outside the first round. And Kucherov as well. So that to me is why the Bruins have never been able to get over the hump because they haven't, they haven't, they just haven't done a, a good enough job developing, and that's why they are what they are. Not because they signed Allmark, not because they didn't have enough money for agency. Uh, it's and, and I think people need to realize that it's it's a long story behind this team where where they are right now. Yeah, and I guess. Sorry for taking up the whole podcast. <laughs> no, no. I, was, I need to get a water or something. <laughs> and well, to. To touch on the the Vladar thing, because that's the one decision that was kind of under a microscope against Calgary. Um, Not that any of that other stuff was... It it all factors in. The Vladar stuff is just the most recent stuff. Um, And Scott wrote an article revisiting that decision. Um, Did you want to share anything that that you took away from that? Well, so... Basically, so... Some people were, like, criticizing this as revisionist history, and it's like... Yes, it is. Like I, I'm literally revisiting the decision that they made. Like, it literally, the article literally says revisiting. Um, <laughs> First word. But, oh my God. but like, if people would actually read it, like I admit in there, like 
I was mostly fine with the Bruins' approach to the goalie position this offseason. And we people can go revisit our podcast. Brian was one of the ones who was saying take a chance on the young guys and or find someone cheap or don't spend significant money at the goalie position. Um, I didn't love spending that much on Allmark, but for the most part, I was fine with their approach. And I would have been... Yeah, it would have been uncomfortable going into the season with Swayman and Vladar. Like, that is two young players, pretty unproven. Yes, you're taking a big risk. And I think at that point in July, the Bruins didn't... Like, Tugaraska just had surgery at that point. They didn't know how his recovery was going to go. They didn't know if, there was, you know, if he was going to be an option or not. Like, obviously now, it looks like he's getting closer and is probably going to play this year. Um, there are even reports that he might consider other teams. To me, that, that that would basically be like if the Bruins said, thanks but no thanks, like, you know, we don't need you or we don't want you or whatever. Then I think he would consider other teams. Um, but, yeah, it bothers me. To Brian's point about, like, the polarization, like, I can admit that what I thought over the summer hasn't worked out well. And that's not to, that's not to say that Elmark won't figure it out and be better. And it's also not to say that Vladar is going to be some great goalie every time he goes out now. Like, he's off to a great start for sure. He's 4 0 1 with a 9.45 save percentage and two shutouts. He looks like, at the very least, a legitimate NHL backup goalie. And he's been a very good one for Calgary, playing behind Jacob Markstrom. Um,. Could he have been part of something close to a 50-50 split and been good? You know, would he have been able to say Swayman struggles as he has a couple times as he did Sunday night? Would Vladar be able to run with it for three starts in a row? Like, those are all still questions and they're very fair. Mm -hmm. But it bothers me the people who, like, won't even entertain the idea that, like, this could have been an option for, for them. Like the the idea that they just had to go out and spend five million a year on Allmark, it's like it's okay it's okay to support that idea and to think that there's still a chance that's going to work out. Which, by the way, I think there's still a chance that Swayman and Allmark will ultimately be a good goalie tandem for this team. So then, in, in but, a few months, it will be revisiting the <laughs> the article I did about yeah, Dan Vladar. Right. <laughs> um, but like, we can at least acknowledge that so far. Through a month and a half, it hasn't worked out great. The Bruins are getting below average goaltending this season. Just to put it completely frank, like, below average, below league average. So, it's fair to question the decisions they made. You know, you're spending $4.25 million more than you would have needed with Vladar, and so far, there's no meaningful upgrade there. Like, it hasn't lifted you up, it hasn't been a sure thing, and to me... Like, I think you're getting, you know, you still have probably like about a month before you have to make a decision on Rask. But if you're getting below average goaltending, then you're bringing Rask back. Yeah, what was Ladar's contract when, when he signed Bruins- for this year and next year for only 750000 for yeah. the minimum because he's still on his rookie deal? Yeah, so I guess you just really, they, you, you can tell what they thought about Tuka's health too from this, the decision to make the trade. Because if they thought that Tuca was going to come in, be the same kind of player, they might have just decided to ride the yeah. swim of Ladar 
tandem, but they didn't. And I really think that Bob Asenza, the the goalie coach, was high on both players. And remember back when back last season when they needed to call up a goalie, they called up Ladar first. Ladar was the guy that started getting the looks. Swayman kind of took the job away from him a little bit, but. Really, in the beginning, it was like, okay, we're going to see what both of these guys are like. And both of them had pretty good performances. I, I really feel like they might have gotten swindled a little bit in that deal where he went for a third-round pick. Now, you don't really know. Maybe he'll pan out to be something that, in hindsight, you're like, okay, well, mm. we could have gotten more from him or we could have really used him in this situation. So I think a lot of the, the two good thing factors in for sure to that decision. Yeah, it does. And and like like I said a few minutes ago, I like I'm like I could be stubborn about some things in life. When it comes when it comes to having like hockey conversations, like I'll I'll admit if like if somebody gives me an idea and I'm like, "Oh, I didn't think of that." Like I I don't have, I have no issue like like admitting if I'm wrong about something or or listening to somebody else's opinion because like that's the beauty of sports. Like we all have our own opinions and like what annoys me sometimes is when you have like these like, you know, these Bruins avatar Twitter accounts, you know, like just you know, saying to 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 fire everybody and get get blow up the whole team. It's like, well, okay, don't go extreme. And then I also get annoyed when some of the people that cover the team, who like, you know, we all kind of know Scott. Like, like, no, not not, <laughs> not, not, not Scott. But like, like, like the, sometimes they'll quote tweet like a, like an actual like honest take from a fan and just like kind of condescend them and be like, well, who are we gonna get in the top four D market? It's it's like, look, <laughs> clearly, I, I guess the Bruins management does everything right because they have so many cups in the last 45 45 whatever it's been years like so like there's there's reasons um and there's validity to everybody's arguments but like you know i just think that going into the year like one one, one, somebody on twitter like responded to what i said and was like so like it, it was just a rational question it was like like so would you have would you have felt comfortable you know, going with Swayman and, and, and Omar, uh, Swayman and uh, Vladar to start the year in like a closing window, and like he he listed like both of their games played and like goalie stats, and you know when you when you when you laid out like that, it was like you know what like, um, no, I wouldn't have felt comfortable, but that's I wouldn't have felt comfortable if 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 I had a cup contending roster. I don't think the Bruins had a cup contending roster going into the season, and I still don't. So like yeah, if if I thought the Bruins had like a like a like like every like they had lines one through four set they were dangerous they had six defense that could play they just needed assurance and goal yup sign Allmark to twenty years I don't give a shit they had they had other needs and like I and the needs that they have again it's not it goes back like years of like just like like trading away certain assets like you know not for nothing like Danton Hine and Andrews Bjork like like Scott said they're not lighting up the world on fire, but, like, you know, could you plug one of them in the third line and feel a little bit more comfortable than, like, Halla? Maybe. Um, Donato's not a bad player, but, again, you got Coil and you almost won a cup. So, you know, Rick Nash, you said Lindgren. They also gave a first-round... I have a tough time swallowing giving up two first-round picks for Rick Nash and Andre Kasha, who played a total of, like, 25 games with the Bruins. But, like Scott said, this is the part about not being stubborn. At the time, like, the Bruins had a really good roster... Rick Nash was like the guy that kind of like maybe helped him go over the top, and you take that risk. But when when those risks ultimately accumulate and, and don't pan out, now you're in a situation where you have a the it, the Bruins have one of the worst prospect pools in the league. That's a fact. It's it's we, we can get Chris Peters on and ask him where they rank actually, but they're down there, and a lot of it's because they haven't evaluated the right players. Um, they've traded away first round picks. They've traded away players they've drafted, 
and it all it all it all adds up to they don't have a lot to, to in in the system and and so they're, they're they're relying on free agency and trade to plug and play and it's just so far it's just not working it's creating a lot of you know um not a lot of chemistry right now on this roster yeah and the other problem there is like so if you're picking late in the first round or you're trading away picks or whatever like that m- certainly hinders your ability to find like real blue chip top end talent but no matter what you should still be able to develop depth players and like that's what you know really bothers me about this offseason should bother a lot of people is you had you were one of the few cup contenders that had money to spend like most of them were had to shed salary this year with a flat cap and instead of spending it on meaningful whether it was a second line upgrade or a top four defense upgrade or just a, a one-for-one crate replacement, which, you know, wasn't really out there, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah. a, someone who would really make a difference on the second line. Um, you had money to spend to potentially address those areas, and then you could fill in your depth with prospects, with players from Providence, if you felt they were ready. And obviously the Bruins just didn't feel they were ready because they ended up spending their money on depth instead. And now you're counting on, like, established NHLers to move up now well into their careers. Like, Charlie Coyle has never been a second-line player, and he's been in the league for, what, seven, eight years? And it's like, I don't know. You know, he's, I think Coyle's been fine. He's been a good middle six forward. But he's not he's not a difference maker. Like he's not elevating your second line and your second line has still been pretty quiet for the most part this season. So you know, on defense, you still don't have like a true top pairing guy on your left side. And you had money to potentially address that. Instead you re sign Riley, who can move around a bit, but you know, shouldn't really be pa- playing more than nineteen minutes a game or so. And you sign Forboard, who should really be on a third pairing, and it's like those, like those, are the type of spots where you should have players ready to step in, and to not like that's where like the development part of it comes in because even if even if you're not picking high in the first round, you should be able to develop depth, and you should have that ready to go when you need it. And you are seeing that play out on the defense this week because the shuffling that's been going on with. The defensive pairs is it's all over the place. I mean, now they have McAvoy with Zaboral, um, who Zaboral wasn't even in the lineup to start the season, and he's been in and out. And they've had him with Forbert, they've had him with Grizzly. They're shuffling things around, and I really haven't seen like one pair that's one one pairing with McAvoy that really is better than another because none of them have been clicking as much as they should be. Even that McAvoy Grizzly pair, which has been good in the past sometimes this season hasn't hasn't um lived up to that kind of no. expectation. No, it hasn't. And you know I I can't explain to you why it seems like Mac Grizzlick and Brandon Carlo through fifteen games have taken a step backwards. You know you know, to defend management here those are players that, you know, they're young, but they're young veterans. They've proven um, on a team that went to Game 7 of a Stanley Cup Final that they can be good defensemen on a almost championship-winning team. 
Um, you know, so if I'm Don Sweeney, I'm, I'm watching this team and thinking to myself, well, where, where's Carlo taking a step up right now? Where's Grizzly taking a step up right now? Um, other, th- I don't know. Like I'm watching the Flames last night, and there's a couple guys on our on our decor that have I couldn't even tell you their last names, and they're moving the puck like they're the Globetrotters, and it's like, well, why can't the Bruins like find these guys in their system? Like, you know what I mean? Like these guys come up from from well, Calgary's pro- AHL team, and like I don't know, it's, it's a couple guys are under underwhelming for sure. Like Derek Forbert, honestly, between us girls, like he has not been the problem on the decor this year. Like he hasn't been great on five on five, but like. All right, he he he's chipping in here and there. He's trying at least. I'm watching Carlo and Grizzly and thinking, how Matt? I'm um, yeah, Matt Scott. How many times has Matt Grizzly um like just flat out like missed a guy on the wing with a pass like five feet in front of him? It's just uncharacteristic, yeah. and it's like, well, McAvoy can't do it all, boys. Yeah, for sure. By the way, because you just mentioned, reminded me like an interesting parallel between Saboral looking like he might finally be cracking the lineup and establishing himself and I think he's been playing well. And Calgary, one of one of those defensemen is Oliver Chillington, who I don't know if you're on if you're a Bruins fan who was on Twitter in twenty fifteen, you will know who Oliver Chillington is. Because one of the like the most viral tweet from that twenty fifteen draft was someone who tweeted like, Oh shit, the Bruins could get Barzell, Connor, and Chillington here. <laughs> and like that has been referenced, oh, God. like all the time since. But Chilling, because so, Chillington was one of the defensemen who was like projected to go right in that range, and similar to Zaboral, didn't pan out and looked like he might be a bust, and barely even played last year with Calgary, and now has established himself as a top four defenseman and is playing really well. That's who I was like, watching. I think, yeah, like that entire Calgary defense seems like guys who have all taken a step forward, and maybe yeah. that's maybe that's the Sutter effect having. You know, a full off-season training camp to really implement his style, but yeah, yeah I mean, it, like you look at that, and it's like Calgary's defense doesn't look like on paper one that would be like the best in the league, but man, man, are they playing well? And the Bruins, I think, still generally have a fairly good defensive system. Like we don't see them giving up a ton of great, great chances. But there's definitely something off. Like, we've talked about the breakouts, we've talked about miscommunications, where there's just too many mistakes. And, you know, they're not... They're not frequently, like, leaving guys just wide open in front of the net or letting guys just walk to the net. That has happened sometimes, probably still too many. On the power play, for sure. (laughs) Well, yeah. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, like... I mean, I think Cassidy's system, like, I don't think it's gotten worse. I think it's still fine. I think it can create the structure of a good defensive team, but right now they're just not executing. And to your point, like, guys like Carlo and Grizzly have been around long enough that that shouldn't be an issue. Like, if you want to say, you know, you were counting on one of them to play a top-pairing role, like, if McAvoy missed a few games and Carlo had to move up, or if Grizzly was playing 23 minutes a night, I'd be like, okay, that's probably a little over the heads, but those guys should be just fine on a second pairing. And to your point, like they've been inconsistent at best. Well, think about when they were much younger, right? Like when Carlo was like a sophomore and maybe his third season. Like he missed the he missed the playoffs on back to back years in the last game of the season, and he was so vital to those teams that we, as fans we were like, well, shit, they can't do anything without Carlo. And then when they played the Blues in the finals a few years ago, when Matt Grizzly went down from the Sunquist yep. hit. Uh, 
that I was, was a like, huge loss in that. Yeah, I was like, that's the biggest advantage the Bruins have over the Blues is their um, transition game and their mobility in the back end, and, and Grizzik was a huge part of that. And he went down. I was like, oh boy, I think this, the tides are, are, are turning now. And Carlo now, last year against the Islanders. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He went down against the Islanders too from Clutterbuck. So, like, and now it's just like, like I said, like Grizzlick is so talented. He's 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 just he's like just missing passes and and Carlo's just not, I don't know. It's like they're not playing terrible, but they're not they're not playing to the to, to their to their talent or their capabilities. It's just and it's a problem overall. Offense is the biggest issue. I think we all agree with that. Um, but it's just like to your yeah, like so like last night the Flames had Rasmussen, Hannafin. Um, Brandon Tanev, I'm uh, not Brandon. That's his brother. Um, Chris Tanev, um, and then uh, the, the, this Finnish kid with the blonde hair. But then there was the kid that, that I couldn't think of his name, and and that's who you were talking about. I, I was watching him like I'm like, who's this kid with the with the quick with the quick crossovers and the and the head fakes and like just starting transition. And um, you know the Bruins need a little bit more of that on the back end. I think they'll be fine overall. Um, they still need to add, but that's a conversation for later. But up front, I guess guys to kind of. I mean, I don't know if we want to just kind of give a quick, like, a quick fix to how... Because, look, we can talk about drafting developing for years. I'm actually impressed I talked about it for five minutes straight without bringing up the 15 draft. I try not to bring that up because I know... That's all right. I got you. Yeah, I yeah. Thank you. you. Thanks, thanks for <laughs> Scott the circled back. Yeah, yeah. He circled back. Uh, best, Scott. Um, but, like, we could talk about that forever. But the fact of the matter is, like, with what their current roster is, you know, where where do they go for here for, from here to to try to right the ship? I mean, like I, I I'll let you guys go because I already kind of said earlier. I think they should just kind of like you know try some different line combinations, mainly sliding Pashnak off that first line for some balance. Maybe you guys have something different, or maybe it's just a matter of playing more games in this in the schedule. Yeah, it's been a slow start. I I think it's been a slow start, especially for the defenseman getting you know up to up to speed. I don't. I don't know if there's really an easy fix, Brian. Because if you, I'm looking at the the lineup, and it's just like a puzzle that I don't know if it has a solution, right? I don't know if they have all the pieces and that they can put them in place, and that it's gonna you know fill out the puzzle, solve the problems. Uh, I don't. It's it's tough. I don't like necessarily taking Coil off the second line, but I don't mind trying it. Um, and then. You got Felino on the power play, like that's working. I, it it's a, not an easy fix, right? Because Smith, by the way, you have the idea to move Smith up to the top line, which he had success at last year, but yeah, he's not going. fully healthy, yeah. and, and we don't really know what the Bruins are going to get out of him this year. So that's why it's it's difficult when you you think about moving the pieces. I can see the vision on on that and and on a few of the other things the Bruins have tried, but. At the end of the day, some of these guys just aren't up to speed, and I would yeah. put Smith in that category. I'd put Howell in that category. Felino, a little bit, not quite as much as the other two. So that's the problem. You know, I, I, I just think of it this way. Like I feel personally, at least, like I said, it's my phrase, Costco sample. I just feel like right now, I think that Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand. Give Craig Smith a hell of a better shot to get going than um, Jake DeBrus and Eric Holla do. I think that David Pashnak has a hell of a better chance to get Taylor Hall going than Nick Foligno does. Um, I the, the this is kind of I'm trying to get everybody 
the best chance to get going. And then once they get going, maybe you can slide them back where they should be. But you got to get people going. And like Eric Holler, for example, like I, I I went on YouTube a few days ago and just like kind of watched some of his early career highlights when he was in Vegas. Like when he's, I was like, I want to see what he was doing differently when he was scoring thirty goals. And I got to be honest, um, it's not great what, what I'm about to say because a lot of them, a lot of them came from. David Perron doing 99% of the work and finding hollow for an open net or something like that. And then a lot of the goals were, um, you know, tip-ins in the power play and this and that. So it's like, okay, it's great that he was able to finish that year, but I look at I look at David Perron and I'm like, well, he's setting up hollow for all these goals for the most part, while uh, DeBrusque and Smith aren't going to do that. You know what I mean? So, like, I, I, I was actually discouraged watching it because I was like, oh, so that's why Hall played so well because the team caught fire and he was playing with a pretty good player in Perron and sometimes, like, Pacioretty. So, um, actually, I think he was the, the following year. But regardless, um, he was playing with some good players that were making... They were they were doing everything and he was just the beneficiary. And I don't see that being the case with his current linemates in Boston. No, and, and you don't need him to produce like that. You just need him to be a solid third liner. And... He's kind of lost in the, he in the offense. He hasn't been, and, and I don't know if he's going to be. Like, if you take into, like, the analytics, his production rates have, for the last few years, have basically been, like, fourth-line type rates. So even expecting to be, you know, a regular third-liner was a bit ambitious. And this is where, you know, I think, first off, have a little bit of patience. As I mentioned, they're they're in playoff position right now and they have a fairly favorable schedule coming up here where you can you have some winnable games and you have games against teams where other lines can get going like they were in these three games before sunday you know the three straight five two wins but like you have buffalo coming up on wednesday rangers are off to a good start so that's a tough one um, but then you have Canucks, Red Wings, you have the Predators in there, you have the Canucks again. So you, you have some games here where, one, you can pile up some points, and two, guys can find the back of the net and start to get some confidence. You'd hope. Now, if they struggle to get secondary scoring against these teams through this stretch, then we're having a whole different conversation, or I guess maybe not a different conversation, but uh, a much more urgent one about where this team is going to find offense. Um, and the second part of this patience for me is really working with Jack's Danica down in Providence. Like have like almost like a coach is dedicated to getting him to improve to somewhere where he can help you this season. Like whether it's calling him up and giving him a chance with the big club or just working with him in Providence and, and letting him take steps there. But I'm starting to feel like at some point before the trade deadline, you're going to need to find out if Jackstonika can be an everyday middle six center for you. Because, as we mentioned, I'm not sure that that's going to be Eric Halla. So is Halla the odd man out, or is Nosek, or who's the odd man out? Maybe Halla ends up in a fourth-line role or something. Like, like there's going to be injuries, too. Figure that out later, but I just think that if, if... this offense is ultimately going to take a step forward. It's either going to have to come from Jacksonica really breaking in and establishing himself or a trade. So, you know, I, I didn't particularly love their forward signings to begin with. 
And now seeing it play out, it's like it hasn't there hasn't been any sort of significant upgrade over last year. There arguably hasn't been any upgrade at all. So mm-hmm. um and you know, I think some of these guys can play better, but I still don't think it's gonna like suddenly turn your second and third lines into a strength. Yeah, I mean I think I think like you know, Corrali was more noticeable on a game to game basis than than Halla. Um you know, Wagner had a down year, but like yeah, like you said, um I I wasn't I like I I like the Nosek signing um, because I I've seen him go to a finals with uh, with Vegas in his appropriate role. I knew Hall would be a stretch. Felino, I was like, well, I guess we'll see. I mean, but um, yeah, I, I think I think something's got to give. I, I think you know when you look at the Bruins historically, their track record for developing players down in Providence and then eventually going to the Bruins and being an impact player, there's there's not many names to look at on a, on a list. I mean, you look at McAvoy, he went from BU to the Bruins playoffs. I think Pasternak maybe played like 25 games at 18. After that, he was he was up. So, like, I mean, Grizzlick, I guess, maybe, I don't even know how many games Carlo played down there. DeBrusque may have played a season um, or half a season, but, like, I don't know. It's just so I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not optimistic that any of these guys down in Providence um, will will make an impact in Boston. And it's almost like they don't even get a chance to. Now the one guy I do think could make a, a splash is Stanika, but they they call him up and they send him down. I also like Oscar Steen, but like, look, I I get it. He's not. He's he's not on a one way contract, so they're not gonna they're not gonna call him up and replace you know Lazar with him or, or whomever. So I think you're right, Scott. Like. They are in playoff position point wise, uh, or point percentage wise. We're acting like they're 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 Arizona, where they're like a one win team through the first. Well, month. that's it's not Boston. The, the, the expectations are never to just make the playoffs. But I think it's because and Bridget, I know you've watched um, hockey your whole life, and I'm sure Scott has, and like I have, like you know we've we've seen we've seen management build um, from like I said earlier the podcast from 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 a from a. From a, from a basement dweller all the way to a championship team and we've seen everything in between so we know what we're looking at like we're like we know we know uh, uh, how good how far a team can go generally by looking at them like we've seen enough of it um well and we even saw like the reset in the middle of this past decade right where it was like okay yeah they needed some turnover <laughs> like some pieces from the 2011 to 2013 their time was up. It was time to start to move on and turn the page. But part of that was you also had McAvoy and Pasternak coming onto the scene right. who helped bring you back to that to that top level. And like that's where like that's not there now. Like But that's the name of the game. Yeah. You got you, you gotta you have to hit in the draft. And like I said, like McAvoy and Pasternak, they they're the only significant players they've drafted, like in, in the last 10, 11 drafts. Honestly. Offensively. Like, um, well, I mean, Mac, I mean, even defensively, I mean, Dougie Hamilton was like the draft. Dougie Hamilton was eleven drafts ago, I believe, so he doesn't count. But even him, like you know, all right, he he, he traded them pretty quick. Dude, so. that makes me feel old, Brian. <laughs> but isn't it? But isn't I that, feel like that was yesterday. But isn't it, it's it's astounding to think about because it's like, like people don't. I'm not. It's not fun to just harp on missed drafts and stuff like that. But the it's the reality, like. Over the last 10 drafts, the only forwards they have right now to show for are David Pasternak, Jake DeBrus, Trent Frederick, and Anton Bleed. Anton Bleed's in because he's Trent Frederick's hurt. Trent Frederick is nothing more than a glorified 
practice squad player, fourth liner. And Jake DeBrusque, I, fe- I fear we've seen the best of him already. So um, you're really talking about David Pashnak over 10 drafts. The sad news is that Fabian Lysel is very promising. I don't think he's ever going to overlap with Bergeron. Um, and the same probably goes for like you know Mason Lorai on defense, who who's a, a high you know defense prospect, and some others. John Beecher, you know he won't he won't be on a team when Bergeron's here, and we don't even know how he'll be at this level. So like the promising players that they do have in the pipeline, like they're not going to be able to help this current window, and that's the more frustrating part. Um, but we can talk about this for days and go in circles. So I'm blue in the face. Um, we'll be back to this. I guess we'll be back. We'll circle Definitely back. we'll circle back we'll to, at the trade deadline. We'll, It'll come up. We'll and revisit. We'll revisit this. Revisionist, revisionist history. history. <laughs> yeah. um, and, oh, I got, I got one thing before we go. Fashion. Huh? Fashion? All right. Um, here's some fashion for you. Sweatpants only on Thursday. Because uh, the amount of food <laughs> I'll be eating, <laughs> I'll be wearing sweatpants only. Uh, I did want to. I did want to ask you guys uh, your, your 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 Thanksgiving favorites because I don't think we're speaking until post Thanksgiving. Um, so I guess Bridget, I'll start with you. Your favorite, your favorite dessert, and your favorite uh, dish well, or, or, or or side or whatever. So Thanksgiving always overlaps with my brother's birthday. It's always on the mm. same week, so we always have ice cream cake, and mm. that's solid Carvel? as a dessert. Yes. Oh my goodness. That's um, the best. But my favorite thing that like anybody makes and brings is my grandmother's monkey bread, which is like mm. cinnamon glazed bread. Nice. I, I could I could care less what else is, is on the table. I'll yep. I actually skip we have like a line. I skip over all of the stuff, go to the monkey bread, make sure I get it before it disappears because it disappears quickly, and then I go back and get the turkey and whatnot. <laughs> I like that move. Scott, you 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 a big candy ams kind of guy? What are you? No. Stuffing. Cranberry sauce? Stuffing's stuffing. number one for me. Traditional stuffing? Yeah. Yep. Oh, I, no. I could just I could eat stuffing like as its own meal. Mm. No. Yep. I, like that. I avoid the stuffing. No. I don't I don't eat I gravy. Just, I, I, steak. I, I'm kinda of with Scott on that one. And we also make a ham and a turkey, and I'm not gonna lie, sometimes I just go right for the ham. That's a that's a bit of a psycho move. <laughs> I'm just saying like, Tur- turkey is n- not my favorite meat by any means, but loaded up with enough gravy and cranberry yeah. sauce, and like that's that's great. Yeah. Like it's fine. It, it could be like any meat under there. Just yeah. just drown it. Brian, well, I gotta get Scott's dessert first. Oh yeah, uh, either apple or pumpkin pie or squash pie. Squ- um, and, any, any of those. Any <laughs> of those. <laughs> the squash pie. My mom makes if the best be squash healthy. pie. Oh my goodness. Um. Well, I'm kind of with I'll, Scott. I'll have to bring my mom's squash pie in at some point. I'm kind of with Scott. Like, I don't think. No, I want you to bake it. Well, then it won't be as good <laughs> or or good at all. <laughs> we should have a, like a bake party where we all just bring something. Um, yeah, I just bring like something from Boston Market. Um, I think just get uh, a bear claw. I'm, I'm with Scott. Like, I, I think turkey in and of itself is it's not like the sexiest meal, but um, you know, I, I like the the hot turkey sandwich the the next day. Uh, that's probably that's probably my uh, my my. My the, looking forward to the most uh, as far as dessert. Uh, my mom makes a a mean apple crisp, which is different uh, than an apple pie. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I have to explain it, then you just don't know what heaven tastes like. <laughs> um, I think I, I think I like apple crisp more than apple yeah. pie too. There we go. Now we're talking. Skip the crust. Yeah, yeah. Well, Wait, that's good. One time I did bake a turkey. I did cook a turkey myself once five years ago when I lived in North Carolina. Mm. I had a few friends over, and some of them were foreign, 
and they they weren't huge fans of turkey. They actually told me, "Can we cook a fish?" And I said, "No." <laughs> um, so I cook the turkey cook and I cook everything, and it comes out, and I'm like, "Hey, I I did it. It's not raw. That's a win." And she goes, my my friend Emma goes, "Oh, this is dry. I'm not eating it." I'm like, "I cooked a whole turkey, and you know, I'm am yeah. I the only one that's gonna eat it?" And it wasn't because it was bad. It tastes like every other turkey you've ever eaten for Thanksgiving. But she just did not want to have turkey. And then we got Krispy Kreme for dessert, and she ate my Krispy Kreme, and I was mad. And I was like, "I'm never inviting you over again." <laughs> <sighs> what well, doesn't sound like a good friend? See, that's why I don't cook. I don't, I don't, I don't like the pressure of people liking or disliking uh, we, what I make. We did. We did our own turkey a couple of years for Friendsgiving, and then we then we realized because we always do the like right around the same time as Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. and we realized we really don't eat that much turkey like twice in a week. Yeah. So like that this year Friendsgiving was brunch, which you I guess a much better decision. You, 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 you still on the Friendsgiving? You still do Friendsgiving? Yeah. yeah. Yep. I have uh, one coming up too. What? Yeah. Well, it's also my brother's birthday party, kind of. So. Yeah. I, friend, Friendsgiving was kind of a thing until like. Maybe like twenty five, twenty six. I don't know if the last couple years. No, done we're it, still we're into our thirties now. It's still uh, going. So. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta. You know why? You, you know why I'm about on Thanksgiving. Here's why. Uh, Friendsgiving is this. This is why we had a Friendsgiving one time when I was living in Austin, and uh, you know every every goes in the group chat. Or I'm 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 bringing this. I'm bringing that. I'm like, all right. Well, I gotta say something, right? So. I, uh, I I ordered a tray of chicken parm from the, from this place called Cucina or something like that on uh, on uh, North Beacon Street. I walked there about a mile. I walked back. Not one person had a piece of chicken parm. <laughs> Not one person. Now to make that's matters when worse, you gave up on. I, well, I literally asked people. I said if I brought chicken parm, on it, would people like like same thing you said? Like I'm not gonna eat turkey all like straight up turkey for the whole week. Uh, I was like, oh yeah, that sounds great. Not one person ate it. In fact, they almost like they ridiculed me. Like they threw tomatoes <laughs> at me. And, <laughs> Like Quasimodo. Okay, like, so what's going on? There's here? clearly a traumatic experience <laughs> yeah. in your past that's it's, making you avoid Friendsgiving. Uh, Makes a lot more sense. Now. I mean, my my roommates ended up eating it the whole next week, um, you know, for lunch and stuff. But it was like, you guys couldn't have helped me out, throw me a bone <laughs> when it, when everybody else was here, made me look good. But so I don't do Friendsgiving anymore. Um, <laughs> you know, and then Needless to say, no, no. The other thing I don't do anymore is you know the the typical. This is more of a college thing. Like, when you're a freshman in college and you go back home for the first time. Oh, God, I never. Freshman, yeah. Honestly, it, 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 Wednesday you, night. you can get away with it, I would say, up until all of college, really. But once you graduate college, it's kind of, well, now now I'm going to the, the local place downtown. Now I'm seeing kids that were in eighth grade when I was a senior in high school. Now it's now it's too much. So I, I, feel, like the, I feel like it is usually older people that are, are oh going no. going to, to meet up with all of their old friends like the day before Thanksgiving. I don't know. My, time. my, my yeah, dad's I feel, friends I feel like do it's it. Mostly like the early to mid twenties crowd. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I mean, for me, it was like when it start when my sister started doing with all her friends. Like that was the time. There's a four year difference between us. That was the time to get out. Like you just, I was, I was good at that you, point. Look, look you, you, you just, you just, you just know. You know, it's like it's like it's like watching the Bruins. Well, also, you just know they're on a cup contender right yeah, now. You just you get that feeling. Have, you can only have so many conversations of like, oh yeah. So what do you do? Oh yeah, yeah. Where did you go to school? Yeah, and it's like. All right, there's a reason we we don't know anything about each other. Like, <laughs> look, the, we barely talked in high school. Like, what, what are we doing? Look, here? Look, look, listen, listen. The last time we talked, you sent you said happy birthday to me on Facebook in 2009. <laughs> what, do you, what, what do you want me to tell you right now? Okay, it's been it's been quite some time, uh, but yeah, definitely post college, you have to explain to everybody like, what you do for a living. This and that. It's like, look, I don't care what you do. I know you don't care what I do. Good to see you. Um, hope the family's well. It's like, oh, my parents are divorced. Oh, okay, well. <laughs> Now I gotta go. No, I'm not really gonna go. Um, anyway, so 
you know, if anybody's listening, they're going they're, tomorrow or t- t- what's the Monday? Today's uh, Monday, so so not tomorrow. No, we usually, Thanksgiving's usually on Thursday. Like Tuesday, <laughs> did, did you think Thanksgiving was tomorrow? Brian? No, no, no. Oh, you meant no, you're gonna the, show uh, up to the party like I'm. I Brian, the, uh, it's Thursday. I'm at the, the 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 hometown reunion at the. If anybody's going, have fun. Uh, uh, enjoy the holiday, I suppose. Um, you filthy animals. Um, hope with the Bruins, you know, don't eat too much turkey so they can come up flying on Friday. But we'll see. Is it Manajad, Panana put, put you know, two goals each? Reminder to people that's now a 1 p.m. game. In a, oh, yeah, they changed. On ABC. It was originally 3.30, and it's still listed like at 3.30 in some places, so oh. just, uh, you know, don't don't have too much of a food coma. Just wake up by, like, 12.55. That's all I plan to do. Uh, all right, well, that's it for episode 70. Scott, get cracking on who wore 71 for next week. I'll be testing you. I don't think there was one. Wait, did you say who was 70? Oh, did we say did that we yet? Say it was 70? We said it before. We oh, yeah. We said it, it before the podcast. Yeah. doesn't count. If you don't play 10 no. games with the team, it doesn't count. Well, no, Scott. You can tell the people the, who it is. The the most re- So this was episode 70. The most recent 70 on the Bruins was... Drum roll. Bada bing, bada boom. Malcolm Subban. There you go. Him and, his, him and his six games played for the Bruins. And before that, briefly, Tim Thomas for the first four games of his career. In That's notable. That's notable. Yeah. From 70 to 30. Yeah, you take that away. You got Tuka's number. Mm, wow. Look at me. All right. See you guys later. Thanks for listening.